united in our confession of the Christian faith through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says it beautifully in Romans chapter 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We seek this harmony by the Holy Spirit through the study of the clear and concise teachings confessed in the book of Concord. Because this book is not just some book, but it is a book that is in accord with God's holy word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today we look at the section, section three of the small catechism, the table of duties. Luther includes this section to address our understanding of, a very clear understanding as Lutherans, of vocation. As ones who are baptized into Christ, how do we therefore live that faith out? It's a very simple format of just looking at Scripture. The different offices that he gives us in this life as ones redeemed by Christ's cross and his empty tomb, how are we to live? We will learn more of that today. I'm excited because that's for all of us, pastors, teachers, lay people, all in your vocations, what does God's word have to say? So open up your catechism and your Bible, and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our text today, our study of the small catechism, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ, we welcome the Reverend Dr. Mart Thompson, Associate Professor of Practical Theology at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. Pastor Thompson, welcome to Concord Matters. Thank you, President Finnern. It's a pleasure to be with you. Pastor, tell us a little bit about yourself. This is our first time on Concord Matters. So introduce yourself and your work at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. Sure. Um, well, I've been serving at Concordia Seminary now for about seven years. I'm in my seventh year uh, as a full-time professor, uh, as you said, of practical theology. Um, prior to that, I served as a parish pastor for about three decades, uh, started in Minnesota, uh, not the North District where you're at, but in the South District correct, <laughs> in Mankato, and then uh, served a parish in Southwest Missouri in the town of Monette, St. John's Lutheran Church, and then 16 years here in uh, the greater St. Louis area. During that time, I also taught uh, online for the seminary some and on-campus intensives. Then they called me uh, full-time, like I said, in uh, 2016. Um, I serve in the practical theology department, so I teach pastoral leadership and theology. I teach courses on incorporation into congregational life, teaching the faith, um, and a variety of other practical courses. I also direct this specific ministry pastor program, sometimes called the SMP program here at the seminary. And that's a, an online distance education program for forming pastors for specific ministries in our synod. And I'm married to Cheryl uh, and she's a licensed professional counselor. Uh, this program is called Concord Matters. Her, uh, her counseling office that she started is called Concord Counseling, by the oh, way. Interesting. Um, and she serves uh, uh, in the St. Louis area. We have three grown children who are married and uh, 
more importantly, seven grandchildren. In fact, the seventh one is on the way, and I will probably hear about that today. So, Well, God's blessings to you in that, and uh, excited to have you with us this Easter season where we are surrounded by the Alleluia's and also pointed to how we are to live our Christian faith. So, Pastor Thompson, let's, let's begin with a simple reality. Um, we are looking—oh, let me take a step back. We are looking at the small catechism— Luther's Small Catechism with Explanation. This is a 2017 version from Concordia Publishing House, and we'll begin on page 33. But before we do this, uh, section three, the table of duties. For most of us who have gone through confirmation, this was not something we covered, partly because of time, you know, energy. Our pastors got wore out by our junior high kids, you know, when we were that age. And so it's something that is so rich and so why is it important for us as Christians to not forget Section 3? And is it still relevant to our lives today? Well, yes, the answer is definitely yes. Perhaps even more relevant than maybe when we were growing up. Uh, although it's always been relevant. Um, but it speaks to vocation. And in the world in which we live today, um, there's a kind of a lack of understanding of of vocation. And it's important for children to be taught this from little on up so they understand, you know, God's will for their lives as they seek to serve their neighbor and how God has called them to do that. Um, It's also important for adults to reflect on this because a lot of the messages we get from from our society today don't reflect a Christian understanding of service to the neighbor and what God is calling us to do. So I think it's it's as relevant today as at any time uh, in the history of the church. And Pastor, it's something where, as we look at each section, I think it's important that, that something that someone pointed me towards was not only us thinking, okay, um, how is this relevant for me? which is true. So like, for example, our beginning talks to pastors and preachers. So this is relevant for you and I in the, in the preaching office to say, okay, this is what the Lord directs me and how to fulfill my vocation. But also, and I, and I emphasize this as I was taught it, to churches when they go through the call process and churches who have a called pastor, is that this is actually also a call to prayer. How can I pray for my pastor to live according to what God's word has to say? How can I pray for the government, the citizens, husbands, wives, parents, children, all of them, and how they can fulfill these vocations that the Lord has clearly given to them? So that's one, I think, very important piece of this as well that that you've spoken to of not only this is what I am to do by God's help, but also this is how I am to pray for others in these offices as well. Anything else you want to highlight before we start digging in? Well, yeah, I think that is an excellent point because... It reminds us that this is God's will, uh, and God is working through these various uh, means, uh, the people that he has placed, whether it's the pastor or governing authorities or, or the members of a congregation, that he has placed in certain positions, but God is the one working through them to carry out his will and to serve the neighbor, to love the neighbor. And so your point about this is a call to prayer is, is very well made because it's something that we are uh, 
seeking God's guidance and direction and his will to be done among us. And so that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, let me say a couple of things just as we start to look into it. We've talked a lot about, okay, this is what God is calling me to do, right? There's a reason that this is section three in the catechism. Um, when, when Luther organized it, he didn't start off with this at the, in section one. Uh, section one is the, the six chief parts of Christian doctrine. And while we do start off with God's will there with the Ten Commandments, the way Luther organized it was that was to help us realize that the most important thing is the gospel, is what God does for us and for our life and salvation. And if we think about this in terms of relationships, first let's think about our relationship with God. Sometimes we refer to that as a vertical relationship. So God's relationship with us, and that is all about Jesus. It's all about God's grace. And that forms us into who we are as his beloved children with whom he is well pleased through faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ. And it is then out of that relationship that we then are seeking to fulfill his will in loving our neighbor. And sometimes we refer to that as our horizontal relationship. So vertical before God, horizontal in service to others, in service to our neighbor in need. And we make those distinctions because we don't want to imply or even be tempted to think that our work is what is going to give us the certainty that God loves us, but rather our work is to share God's love with the neighbor because we know God has loved us, and we want that love to then extend through us to caring for the needs of our neighbors. So I think that is an important way to look at this whole thing, uh, is God's promise to us, and then that equips us and frees us to serve others um, as, God's, as God's people. Well, let's start digging in on page 33. It begins to bishops, pastors, and preachers, according to 1 Timothy and Titus, we begin. The overseer must be above reproach, the husband of, of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. 1 Timothy chapter 3. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. 1 Timothy 3 verse 6. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. In Titus chapter 1. What are the instructions or admonition um, given to our pastors and preachers? Well, this is something that here at the seminary, we focus on a lot, right? Because we are um, seeking to form uh, men to be in a position to be called to be pastors. And so the, uh, the description here, uh, just give us what a pastor needs to be. Uh, and so we, we look at these qualifications, if you will, for pastors. 
and expectations of how they are to be. And that is what guides to a large extent what we call our ministerial formation programs at the seminary. I think it's interesting to note, uh, there's one thing I always uh, focus on when I'm working with new students who are preparing for pastoral ministry and, and say the introduction to the pastoral ministry class, perhaps you recall that when you were at the seminary. Of course. Um, that first phrase, the overseer uh, must be above reproach. And of course, overseer here is referring to pastor. And that must be above reproach. So is a pastor supposed to be a better person uh, than anyone else? Uh, I don't know if we're, if we're really talking about, you know, simply the, the qualities of an individual. The focus here is that the pastor is to behave in such a way that his life is in service to the gospel, that he doesn't distract people from hearing the word of God that he's preaching, and that they can see more or less the fruits of faith in the life that he lives. And so everything that is described here, and not only in 1 Timothy 3, the first quote you mentioned, but in the others, are all for the sake of the pastor being called to deliver the saving gospel of Jesus Christ and for people to be able to receive that uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, now, there are specific things that we get into here, um, things like uh, particular moral behavior that would be expected of any Christian, but certainly of the pastor, the ability to manage his family and to be a leader, if you will, in his own home. Also, one specific thing that we, we often emphasize, and, and that is he must be able to teach the kinds of things you're doing right now as we discuss uh, the table of duties here in the catechism. Um, that kind of thing is important for a pastor to have the ability to do. So we focus on teaching the faith and instructing pastors on how to do that. A few other things that are highlighted here um, must not be a recent convert. <clears throat> and at, as uh, Paul is writing this to young Timothy, he points out that someone new to the faith who maybe lacks the spiritual maturity he needs could be someone the devil could perhaps tempt in a way that would undercut the gospel, and which reminds us also that in the running in the background of all this is the fact that there's a spiritual battle that takes place. The devil doesn't want the gospel to go out. So because of that, um, he's going to try to undercut the authority of, of pastors. He's going to try to distract people from hearing the gospel. And so Paul's writing here to Timothy and Titus is all for the sake of people being able to hear the gospel. And I, I love how you said that because this list can be quite terrifying <laughs> when you're about to begin seminary. And, but, but it also brings to it the reality of not telling some, a man that, well, you're not, you're not a good Christian. It's just that your calling maybe isn't to be a pastor. And for others, that this formational process that you're speaking of 
is to say, you know, maybe this is what the Lord is leading you towards, you know, and and also, like I said, I encourage you, our listeners, to pray for your pastors in this way, that he can be a man above reproach, a husband of one wife, temperate and self-controlled, respectable, and go down the list, and that that we continually will encourage others by sound doctrine, which is a daily task of repentance and forgiveness that we always have. So like I said before, this is really about prayer, um, bringing our pastors and, and our other workers, to be true, um, to the feet of Christ and have Lord help them to be faithful servants. Pastor, anything else on the, that first section? Uh, no, I think you hint, hit at the sound doctrine one, which I thought would be uh, important to, to mention as well. Um, as this radio program indicates, concord, not only the unity, but also confessing the faith together, the sound doctrine is very important. And that is also something that uh, is is stressed as we as we form and support pastors that we maintain that concord of sound doctrine as we look at the next section it, it leads us from our pastors to our hearers now clearly this is not a and this is the beauty of what we have in the table duties it's not just like all you do as christians is hear the word of god that's clearly not the case but it is very important that we have that that how god has brought us together as christian people to not only proclaim the good news, but also to receive it. And so what is our responsibility as hearers of this blessed gospel? What the hearers owe their pastors? The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel, 1 Corinthians 9. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, Galatians 6. The elder elders who direct the affairs of the church church well are worthy of double honor, especially for those who work in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. 1 Timothy chapter 5. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you, in Hebrews chapter 13. Pastor, what are the basic instructions that we hear for those who hear the word of God and receive it from their pastor? That is to receive what is being given from the pastor as being from God, the pastor being his his chosen instrument for them at that time to give this tremendous gift to them. And that authority that is referred to a few times here is the authority of God to give the forgiveness of sin. You hear that when the pastor pronounces the absolution in in the divine service. In the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. And so to look to that person as someone God has placed there to deliver the gifts of Christ is to honor um, the office and, 
and to care for and to support the person God has placed into it. And, and I love the Hebrews 13 passage, the one that you read at the end, because it puts this into the context. You, know, you obey the leaders and submit to their authority for the reason I just mentioned, um, and realize that they are keeping watch over you as men who must give an account. Um, they have a responsibility to God that is for your sake and for your benefit. So help to make their work a joy, not a burden. And I tell you, I was at a conference earlier this week on family discipleship, and one of the sessions there uh, talked about how, you know, it's always been difficult for pastors. But in this day and age, with the undercutting of authority in general, and the persecution of the church that is increasing even in the West, we've got a lot of very discouraged pastors out there. And there, many of them are just trying to faithfully do their job and they're easily getting discouraged. So to honor them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, that is a real blessing to them. And as, as the writer to the Hebrew says, <laughs> It's, it's a blessing to you as well. Um, to undercut their authority is, is not going to be of any advantage to you. So I, I love this section. I think it's very pertinent today. And it does admit this reality. And I heard, I heard one lay person tell me this um, since I've been district president. Is it said, you know, you know uh, Pastor, talking to me, that we have always been blessed with our pastors. And he said, I've not always liked all my pastors. <laughs> but all the pastors were there as a blessing called to our congregation as a blessing from the Lord. And I think that was, I think that really is in light of everything that is said here. This isn't a likability contest or this isn't a, Hey, you better make sure you give them the highest wage within a, you know, 50 mile radius, but it's about the Lord has called the, this pastor to this place. How can we not only hear the gospel, like you said so well, but also to love and to care for them as one that God has put into that office for the sake of the gospel? And that's different for everybody. And that's that's kind of the, the joy of it, the frustration of it. And you know what? Your pastor is going to make mistakes. So part of this, and I'm feeling it when I and hear these passages, is how can I make sure I'm gracious with this guy? How can I make sure that I'm forgiving with this guy as he is gracious and as the Lord is gracious and forgiving with me? Pastor, any other thoughts on that before we get to our next section? Yeah, just two quick ones, because again, this is really important. Um, one is I, I noticed this as a, as a pastor observing another congregation where the devil had gotten into and tempted some of the members of that congregation to be very hypercritical of this young pastor, this new pastor, um, just right out of the seminary and you know, as you alluded to, pastors are going to make mistakes. They they don't they they have a lot to learn still about how to work within a congregation when they first when they're first a pastor, and even later on, we're always learning. But I got to thinking, if you could just see this person as if he were your grandchild who is a new pastor, mm. you would be so much nicer to him than you are right now, and, and kind of really dealing with him harshly. And I tried to get that message across to some of the members. I was close to members in that congregation to try to, you know, be more forgiving and forbearing and, and support him. He'll grow. He'll be a great pastor. Um, 
anyway, that was one thought. But then the other one was a story from, we talked about, I was in Minnesota as a, as a young pastor, and I had a rural parish that I served uh, part of the time I was there. And one member, an, uh, an old farmer in that congregation, he was very wise, said something to me as a young pastor that was so helpful. Um, so I'd been there a couple of years and not, well, maybe not even that long. Let's say within the first year, it was probably the case. I felt like I wasn't really that great a preacher, you know, mm-hmm. um, kind of making the mistake of running comparisons between myself and others. Maybe you have been preaching for a long time. And uh, one time he commented after a, a service, and we were talking about this, and, and he told me, he said, Pastor, he always called me Pastor, when you preach from the pulpit, I don't see you there. That is, God is giving me a message through you. And it's the Holy Spirit that is giving the message. And he always does it. I all, God always is faithful in giving that message to you through, to me, through you, my pastor. And boy, that took the pressure off. I thought, okay. You know, it's God doing this. I don't have to try to think I have to be the perfect pastor. Uh, we're both trusting the Holy Spirit in this in this exchange. So that that was really helpful to me. So you can encourage your pastors, any listeners out there, uh, with things like that. Well, speaking of uh, uh, patience and forgiveness needed, our next section will be on the civil (laughs) government. But you know what? At first, we need to take our break. We are studying the table of duties in Luther's small catechism. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Put this wisdom of God into practice by listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple, and faithful pastors from around the world help sharpen my faith in Christ every episode. I know you'll be blessed by listening and studying God's Word with us. Listen to Sharper Iron weekdays at 8 a.m. on KFUO and on demand at KFUO.org, the KFUO radio app, and anywhere you get your podcasts. studying the table of duties in Luther's small catechism with the Reverend Dr. Mart Thompson, Associate Professor of Practical Theology at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. Our next section, which is in Luther's small catechism with explanation, the 2017 version of, of the Concordia Publishing House small catechism, we're on page 34, and now we move to the civil government. Once again, uh, one of the I think one of the big failures we have is that we often don't pray for our governing authority. So here, once again, is another call to prayer of civil government from Romans chapter 13. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do not bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. 
for he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Like I said, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. Pastor, I want to make this highlight and obviously get your thoughts. Is it, it, It's hard to understand, and maybe it's hard also to understand why God has called a pastor to be your pastor at times, but also I would say it's hard to understand why the Lord has uh, brought these authorities um, to us as our representatives and such. For it says, the authorities that exist have been established by God. And that can be hard um, to understand as well as Christian people. Pastor, what, is, what does Scripture have to say about civil government? Well, uh, just as you as you read, God has established these authorities um, for our good. It reflects his um, will for his creation. It's an ordered creation. And that's important for us to keep in mind. Uh, if, if we didn't have order, if we just had anarchy, if we just had, you know, no, no uh, governing authorities, then sin would just uh, run rampant. And, and this is something that Luther, in his day, he knew that the governing officials weren't perfect. Some of them were, were perhaps not even Christian, but he knew that the rule of law was was very important, and that's why that is included in in his catechism. It's in God's word, and it's still pertinent for today. Uh, one thing that I take some comfort in, reading here what you did from St. Paul, thinking about the governing authorities in Paul's day, they certainly weren't Christian, uh, the Roman government that uh, we're, we're thinking of here. And yet they did have a rule of law that helped keep order and peace. And if Paul could exhort prayer for the, the Roman emperor, I think he can exhort us in prayer and, and honoring uh, as faithful citizens, the governing authorities. Now, of course, the other thing, and, and this is a word to those governing authorities, we want to pray that they govern according to God's will and that they keep order and the rule of law for the well-being of all people. And so that should be a part of our prayer too. It doesn't mean when we honor them that we endorse everything that they that they say and do, but it's that we pray that they would govern according to God's will. And, and that in, in our day and age also means we as citizens participating in that government according to God's will. That's the system we have today. And so it's a reminder of, of place that that they are there and so we pray and we respect and boy that's difficult in today's um news world um and the political climate like, like i said you said before it's always been tough on pastors what's well, always been controversial in the government work so sometimes we get a little bit narcissistic and act like well this is the absolute worst it's ever been because this mm -hmm. person didn't get elected or something along those lines but it is, it is just a reminder that we are to work together. We are to pray for them. And, you know, maybe when's the last time you wrote a, an encouraging letter to your representative other than just complaints? Um, and so it really is something that brings me to my knees 
and understanding that I have not fulfilled my vocation as a citizen and how I see the civil government. Anything else you want to highlight? Um, no, I think you said that pretty well. I, you know, the next section is on the responsibility of citizens. And, and while some listeners may be in positions of, of serving in the government, I think the next section applies to all of us. All right, let's get to it then. Let's get to it. Of citizens on page 34. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, Matthew 22. It is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor, Romans 13. I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, 1 Timothy 2. Remind the people to subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, Titus chapter 3. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. First Peter chapter two. Pastor, I want to highlight this right away. Recently, I just put in my, paid my taxes. Met with my tax guy, wrote out the check, sent it in the mail. I'm not sure if I did that with a joyful and happy spirit. Um, <laughs> I think I need some grace in this. Other thoughts you have on these uh, very important passages? Does it say we have to be joyful? About <laughs> it doesn't it? say that, but I, you know, <laughs> you're right. Fair enough. <laughs> I did it though. <laughs> uh, well, but I think the implication is is we should do it willingly, right? Uh, <laughs> whether it we whether, what we feel at the time, I'm not sure, but yeah. Um, you know, it it goes back to this whole thing about God being God of order. Um, now, something we might refer to here that runs throughout all of these is something we talk about in Lutheran circles as the two realms. Uh, early at the beginning, I mentioned, you know, those two kinds of relationships, the vertical and the horizontal. Um, and when we think of government, we're thinking of the rule of law. We're thinking of the horizontal realm. We're thinking of life in this world where we need law uh, to keep order uh, and to uh, help people uh, be restrained from doing things that hurt others. So in that way, those who give their lives full time to that work need to get paid. And we, you know, they have to support their families as well. So that helps me when it comes to paying my taxes. And I realize in this fallen world, we may have differences of opinion on on how that money gets used. The overall idea, though, is that we need those institutions to to provide uh, for the needs of all people. And and I think in that regard, uh, I can I can live with that. You know, I can give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And that goes into, you know, the other authorities that we see manifest this, specifically 
Uh, for example, the firefighters who will risk their lives um, to to care for us, to protect us, the police officers, the military. Right. And that's one of the real blessings that we have, that I think there is a certain amount of respect in our culture for those offices that are before us. I think we need to pray more. I think we do, obviously need to respect more and we need to you know, this is why we have other governing authorities that when those individuals are not fulfilling their vocations faithfully, this is why you have judges and why you have representatives and and other people in authority to make sure that that's being done in good order. All of that brings me to the understanding of the high calling that they have, the high callings that we all have, and how can we make sure that we are seeing this as something that God is doing in our world. And obviously, there needs to be a lot of grace and, and exhortation um, throughout the whole time. So it really is a a blessing to hear these passages because often we don't, we don't hear these passages. You know, we will hear the news, you know, we'll, we'll make up our own thoughts, but boy, what a blessing to know what God has put before us. And, you know, I think it's important for when we're teaching young people, and that's why I'm really glad that this is in the catechism. God maybe has gifted them to serve in some of these positions. And we certainly need Christians in, Mm -hmm. uh, in positions of, of protection for others and um, leadership in society. And so to hold these up as very honorable positions is really important. The other thing that I will say as we, before we move on to the section on the family is I'm very thankful that in our tradition, we have a, a, a practice of every Sunday praying for those in positions of authority. And so in our churches and the prayer of the church, we, uh, it's customary for, for pastors, for congregations, to pray for the president, the Congress, the governor, the legislature, for, for those who, who serve in these capacities. And that kind of cuts through the political partisanship by, uh, and then takes us back to what God's word has to say, this direct command that Paul gives here to, uh, well, this urging to, to pray for everyone and for kings and all those in authority. And I'm very thankful for that. And just another reminder for your listeners to not only in church to pray for these things, which is a blessing, like, for example, in the litany, in our our hymnal or other prayer offices that we have, but also just in good piety within the church, but also your own um, to be able to fulfill that um, vocation for these wonderful people in these offices. Now, Let's get now. We go from government, so we go from church um, to our our our, our churchly uh, life, to our governmental life, our community, our society, to our family. And what I'll do for this one, I think I will read um, the husbands and wives section together, uh, because that's it's always good to go back and forth on on husbands and wives. So we'll begin, continue on page thirty five to husbands. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. 1 Peter chapter 3. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Colossians chapter 3. To wives, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Ephesians 5. They were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. 1 Peter chapter 3. 
as we look at this, it is, you know, culturally, it can be a little bit confusing for people, but it is showing a high calling to both husbands and wives. And what does scripture tell us? You know, that section that's quoted from Ephesians 5 there to the wives, there's also an extensive section Luther could have put in there to the husbands from Ephesians 5 about loving your wife, being willing to lay down your life for her. Um, but before that, in, in that Ephesians uh, 5, he, Paul writes to uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So at the end of the day, this is all about serving the Lord, but it's, it's doing it in ways that God has uniquely gifted and called us to do as, as husbands and as wives. Part of God's ordered creation that uh, he, he's gifted uh, us in various ways to be together in a, in a complementary way. I like that this phrase I heard years ago at a conference, biblical complementarity, talking about how God has called husbands to serve their wives in a certain way and wives to serve their husbands in a certain way. And we're all serving the Lord as we do so. And as we do, um, God does beautiful things in families and, and husbands and wives are, are nurtured and cared for. Their children are nurtured and raised and, and, it's all because of God's good gifts uh, given to his creation. And it's, it, it, I, I love that. Uh, say it again. Uh, biblical complementarianism, or how would you say it? Biblical complementarity. Uh, complementarity. Very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I'll say this, and this is, once again, a prayer for, for, for you, our listeners, for husbands and wives, because these words are, are very much so, they become more and more relevant to me as I, as I grow in years as, as a married man um, to my beloved bride is now 19 years. And I know it's going to grow even more and more of those times where I am to love her as Christ loved the church. And she submits and respects me as, as we do to Christ. And this is not something that we do perfectly and not something that, you know, as it tells us very clearly not to be domineering or to lord it over, but it is just, it's just a beautiful thing, especially as you continue in your marriage. Um, and you see these things become more and more true as we age. And so I, once again, I ask for you to pray for our husbands and wives in each day to bring this to the foot of the cross and repentance and faith and the assurance that our Lord truly does forgive us <laughs> as husbands and as wives. Anything else before we get to parents and children? No, I think that says it really well. Thank you. Thank you. Just amen. Amen to this. Amen. Amen. All right. We go to parents and then I'll also read of children to parents. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, Ephesians chapter 6. To children, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and you may enjoy, that you may enjoy long life on earth, Ephesians chapter 6. Um, what I'm, what I'm going to What I'm going to say is this. I'm going to start with this, Pastor, is it is it is this reality. And you look back in your own childhood, at least in mine, and you think, you know what? It would have made my life just a little easier if I just would have listened to my parents. <laughs> and I don't like admitting that, but that is the truth. So just a little bit of that promise that's given in the in the in the fourth commandment. It is it is so true. So parents, children, 
Um, what does scripture tell us? Well, I want to share with you a phrase that I, I really like um, regarding this, and that is creational wisdom. And creational wisdom is looking at, at God's word, especially his word of law that tells us how to live and behave in the world that God created us to live in. Now, I, I sometimes compare it to say, an owner's manual for a car. So you buy a car, uh, you have an owner's manual that is produced by the same entity that, that, create, that produced the car, right, that built the car. And it says, this is how you operate this, this vehicle so it is done successfully. Well, when God gives us that direction in his word, he's telling us how to live well in his creation. And so, like, you were reflecting on your childhood, yeah, if I listened to God in this owner's manual for my life and, mm. and honored my parents a little bit more, it would have run a little bit more smoothly for me. <laughs> and and the same thing with, with parents, you know, uh, fathers are singled out there by Paul in Ephesians 6. Why? Because I, I'm not sure exactly, but maybe fathers are tempted not to exercise spiritual headship at times, or maybe when they do, they're tempted to not do so in a nurturing sort of way. And so we're reminded in God's word that that has to happen. And then children, I, I love the way Paul takes what was in the Old Testament and in Deuteronomy, uh, and he, you know, where it says, honor your father and your mother that it may go well with you in the land that you are about to enter. Basically, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Well, Paul takes it and he applies that word of of creational wisdom here in a more general sense, where he says, you know, honor your father and your mother, um, little Brady, <laughs> that it will go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And, and so that's, that's wisdom from our creator and how to live in his creation. And as we listen to and are guided by it in this table of uh, responsibilities, we are blessed. We are blessed in his creation. And I like how you brought that up because this is something that we shared before our our, uh, our study today, is you talked about it's the table of duties, but also we could put it as table of vocation, but also table of responsibilities, which is really, I mean, think about this, of how it is your responsibility as a parent to not exasperate your children. Okay. That that's your, we don't talk that way, especially in our culture or definitely not instruction of the Lord, but also it's your responsibility as a child to honor your parents. Like this isn't just kind of like an optional thing you put to the side. This is your responsibility. This is your calling. If I could say it that way, any thoughts on that? I mean, that, that is, I think a very helpful distinctions in our modern day um, uh, language to help us understand the, the full, um, uh, full uh, power of what we're responsible for. Yes. Yeah. No, that's an excellent point. And when you're responsible, you're responsible to someone, correct? So I like that language because it's, it's in the language of vocation, you're called to care for someone, to love your neighbor in this specific way. In this way, children are loving their parents, their neighbors, by honoring them. Parents are loving their children by exercising their responsibility for them and raising them in the faith. And at the very end um, it, of the table of responsibilities, 
it says the commandments are summed up with this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. And the word responsibility, more than the word duty, I think, uh, speaks to this being God loving others through us. He's giving us this responsibility towards these others. And then one other quick point on this, and I got this from my doctor father, uh, Bob Kolb, Dr. Robert Kolb, who said, you know, you can kind of have some fun with that by hyphenating the word responsibility as a Christian. It's your responsibility. You have the ability to respond to the needs of others because of your creator and redeemer and what he has done for you. So that goes back to your point about always praying. We look to God and ask him for the help and ability to respond. And he gives us that response ability. So that's kind of a fun way to think about it. Yeah, once again, amen to that. We are on page 36. We have about eight minutes left in our time to finish out the table of duties. Page 36, to workers of all kinds. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free, Ephesians 6. To employers and supervisors, masters treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9. The language here is a little bit tricky, but also the uh, the principles are very much so the same in our culture. Um, what, what do you want to share? Well, yeah, you're right. The language is tricky because the word slave and master are words we're used to. <laughs> we're not used to seeing that described in any kind of positive way. And we're just going to need to set aside that discussion, really. I, it, it, it is something that we can definitely understand in a positive way when we see it in its context. We don't have time to go into all that here. But just applying it the way the catechism does to employees and employers, to, uh, to people who are workers and people who are supervisors. And it's basically saying, you know, treat them in a proper way way relative to their role, whether they're, they have responsibility to, to supervise or whether you have responsibility to follow. And, and God's word is clear that, that uh, we are to, uh, to carry out our duties as we've been given them, whether we're in a position of supervision or we're in a position of working under supervision. And that's really what this is about. And that, well, that's another example of, uh, for example, when I am with uh, my uh, children in confirmation, when I would teach them, I would say, pray for your parents. They're a mess. <laughs> and the same way in this is to pray for your boss, you know, mm -hmm. to pray for your superiors, because, you know, you don't know what's going on in their life and the pressures that you're under. And at the same time, for you as a, as a boss, if you will, or a manager of some sort, is how can I make sure I do not threaten and that I'm praying for those who work um, with me, or you can say under me. It, it's just something that is so vital in all of this that we look at it and understand and try to see it from the other person's point of view. And when we do pray for individuals, the Lord does change our hearts by his word 
to better understand uh, where we are as the body of Christ. Pastor, anything else on those two uh, sections? No, I think that's that's all we can really address at this Got time. it. Awesome. Let's continue. To youth, this is important. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. 1 Peter chapter 5. This is an important message that is not always well received when we are young, but what a blessing it is when you see it in action. Um, uh, Pastor, I, 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 I've been a track coach for 11 years, mm-hmm. and what a, what a joy it is to, when you see young people being respectful. And then what a joy it is when I, when I work with young people who are respectful to tell their parents that their child is being a very respectful young man and young woman. And so it, it, this is happening. You know, what we'll say, oh, young people these days. It does happen. It doesn't always happen, but it does happen. And just a good reminder for them of the fruitfulness that does occur when our young people are being respective, uh, respectful, especially of their authority. So what else do you want to share? Well, I, I think you said it well. Um, everybody's to be humble, right? <laughs> but there's a, a special point here made to youth because, you know, you don't have the experience and you don't maybe don't realize you don't know things that you don't know, right? So he's essentially saying, Peter is, to err on the side as a young person of maybe assuming you don't know as much as you think. Mm. And when you do that, you're giving God the opportunity to help inform you better, to lift you up, to bless you through that. So it's actually sage wisdom to young people to, uh, to operate this way, it will, as we remember with the fourth commandment, it will go well with you when you do this. <laughs> I'm into that. Well, let's get to the last two. I'll read the last two as we get to about three minutes left in our time. To widows, the widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask to God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. First Timothy chapter five. And to everyone. The commandments are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself, Romans 13. I urge that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everybody, everyone, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let each his lesson learn with care, and all the household well shall fare. Pastor, break those last two ones down. Uh, We have about two minutes left in our time. Okay. Um, So on the widows, I don't know exactly what Paul is dealing with there. But apparently there were some, maybe some widows who were, quote, taking advantage of their widowhood. I'm not sure. But mm-hmm. his, his positive point here is that, um, you know, that they need to put their hope in God and let God bless them through the ways that he has provided for that. And in some cases, it's going to be from the community because the widow no longer has somebody a husband uh, in their in their economic system to provide for her. So she shouldn't take advantage of the situation in an improper way, but but that's uh, that's there for their kind of safety net. And then to everyone, as I mentioned before, love uh, is kind of the fulfillment of the law here. It's the, mm. it's the it's the summation of everything that we've talked about in this table of responsibilities and in sharing the love of God with others. 
And I will mention one thing at the end here to circle back to the very beginning, if I may, if I have time. Please. And that is, these are about our horizontal relationships, and we're not ever going to do those perfectly. The catechism has this coherence. It started off with the Ten Commandments, but in the middle, before the table of duties here at the end, there's a section on confession and absolution. And the way Luther directs us in there is he, he speaks to our vocations, our callings, as we examine ourselves. Consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. Are you a father, mother, son, daughter, husband, wife, or worker, et cetera, et cetera. All the things we've talked about here. And that's part of the self-examination to recognize the sin that we know and feel in our hearts so that we can hear, again, the forgiveness of sins to our confession of when we haven't done this well and when we have sinned, to know that peace which God, with God that surpasses all understanding, that is in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So it's all served through vocation, uh, building us up in love towards the neighbor, but also pointing us back to Christ for his forgiveness, life, and salvation, earned for us by on his, the cross and through his resurrection from the dead. The Reverend Dr. Mart Thompson, Associate Professor of Practical Theology at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri, confessing the truth of God's word with the table of duties from Luther's small catechism. Pastor Thompson, thank you for your faithful teaching here on Concord Matters. You're welcome. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finner. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of the